You're listening to the Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the Word. Welcome to the Bonfire Podcast, everyone. We are glad that you are joining us for yet another episode of the Bonfire Podcast. If this is your first time listening, I want to say welcome to you and encourage you to come in and and to listen to what we have to say. You're listening to what we believe to be the best Bible study, Bible discussion, Bible conversation podcast that you can find uh, currently out on the web today. And so uh, thank you for stopping by. For those of you who have been listening for quite some time, we want to encourage you and, and say thank you for staying with us and continuing to download. But we wanted you to continue to, to do this and, and maybe to tell others about what you're experiencing here with the Bonefire Podcast. We encourage everyone to download and subscribe our episodes on a regular basis. And you can also go over to our Facebook page where you can join the conversation. You can like uh, some of the videos. You can share those with friends and family uh, on that Facebook platform. And so just a good way to connect with us. And then uh, lastly, uh, I do want to encourage you to send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com. And your communication can be just simple uh, of saying, hey, we like it. We don't like it. Uh, We'd like to hear this. We'd like to hear that. Or if you'd like to send us a prayer request, we'd be glad to uh, pray with you about whatever your prayer needs is. So I encourage you to do so. Send send us an email, bonefireministries at gmail.com. Well, Dad, we're entering into week. Week two of Contending for the Faith. This is our study through the epistle of Jude. And um, it's uh, it's been a great study thus far. We Last mm-hmm. week we jumped in in our, in our last episode and we uh, kind of did the foundation work talking about the book of Jude. And uh, through that episode we learned that Jude, we believe to be, is the half-brother of Jesus. And he intended to write a much longer letter uh, that was going to be based on the doctrine of salvation. However, his intentions were interrupted and upended by an urgent need to communicate to the first century church regarding the rise of false teachers. Now, these false teachers had slipped in unnoticed and had begun to cause issues and trouble in the church. And so Jude's fiery and short message was very clear. We need to contend for the faith in order to keep it. And Dad, as we talked about last week, that message, contending for the faith, uh, is not a message just for that first century church. It's a a message for us today that we need to be contending for the faith. We need to be standing firm uh, on the true doctrines of Christianity and holding those true because, as we discussed, we're just one generation away from that falling apart if we don't pass that along and protect it the way that we should. And so... Uh, we're going to be continuing again in our study uh, today. In this episode, we're going to be looking at three things regarding these false teachers that Jude shares with us in verses 5 through 16. And so without delay, if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to turn with us to the epistle of Jude and follow along with us as we start reading at verse 5. Verse 5 says, But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their abode. He reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner of these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh. They reject authority. They speak evil uh, of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil over the body of Moses, dared not bring um, against him reviling accusations, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil, whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in error of Balaam for profit, and have perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feast. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots." raging waves of the seas foaming up on their own shame. 
wandering stars from whom is reserved in the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who were ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in ungodly ways, and all the harsh things in which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they, with their mouth, uh, speak great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. That's, again, verses 5 through verse 16. And so, again, I referenced that. We're going to talk about three things on today's episode. And so for our listeners, I'm going to go ahead and call those out for you. We're going to talk about the doom of false teachers. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, the depravity of false teachers. And then lastly, we're going to talk about the description of false teachers. Those are the three kind of main things that Jude says here uh, in the these verses. And so let's take that first one and kind of dive in here and look at the doom of false teachers. Now, uh, this particular section comes from verses 5 uh, through 7, and we're also going to include verses 14 and 15 uh, with this. And, and what we see in these verses, Jude is going to great length to illustrate that sin does not go unpunished. Mm-hmm. And that's a true true story. That's right. Um, he, he uses key examples from the Old Testament to prove his point. Um, his purpose in doing so, as he said in verse 5, is to remind his readers uh, that God has punished sin in the past and he will do it again. Mm-hmm. And that's important to know that he will do it again. I want us to look at those three examples uh, that Jude gives us in verses 5 through 7. The first one that he said, Dad, it was, uh, he talked about the rebellion of Israel in the desert. Uh-huh. And you and I were talking before we got started that um, Israel, the the chosen people of Israel, the, the children of Israel, um, they had a hard time uh, c- really keeping the faith. Uh, there's right. multiple accounts of where they found themselves kind of wavering in their faith and slipping back into pagan practices. Mm-hmm. And one that I wanted to bring a note of, which I think is is probably the most telling, um, and then I think you've got some examples here that you want to talk about as well, mm-hmm. is the account of um, the harlotry that went on in Numbers chapter 25. And so in Numbers chapter 25, the children of Israel are out in the desert, and uh, uh, they began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab and even participated in acts of idolatry with the Moabite gods. Uh-huh. Uh, so they worshiped the gods with them. And this you know, provoked the Lord in fierce wrath and fierce anger. And so he instructed Moses, he said, Hey, Moses, I want you to get all the leaders of the people together, and I want you to find the offenders, and I want you to hang them right in the sun so everybody can see. Mm-hmm. And so Moses did as he was told, and they, they hung these individuals or hanged these individuals. But unfortunately, that wasn't enough to stop the evilness. In fact, one of the Israelite men brought a Midianite woman, uh, and he brought, him, brought her with him to the very tabernacle. And right there at the door of the tabernacle began to go into uh, lewd acts with this woman. And so at that time, seeing this, uh, we, we see in the Bible that there was a, a guy by the name of Phineas. He was the grandson of Aaron, and he was enraged by this. He had holy wrath that came upon him, mm-hmm. and he picked up his uh, his spear, his javelin, and he chased after them, and he impelled both the man and the woman. Mm-hmm. And our Bible tells us with that act, the plague ended. But in total, think about this now, in total, there was 24,000 people that died as this terrible act of rebellion. Mm. So the children of Israel, again, 24,000 of them went off into into sin and rebelled against the things of God, and God judged them and brought judgment upon them with death, too, impelled by the very uh, spear or javelin of Phineas. That's right. You know, also when I think about what he was saying in verse 5, when he talked about uh, the people being saved out of the land of Egypt, of course, I think obviously about how God sent the plagues upon the Egyptians to to loosen the grip of Pharaoh that he had on these Hebrew slaves. And then finally they were let go. And then, of course, you know, the, the Egyptians chased them in the wilderness. And it seemed like that the Israelites, they were hemmed up. You know, in front of them was the Red Sea, and they couldn't cross it naturally. And then 
uh, behind them was the Egyptian army. And of course, you know, God opened up the Red Sea and uh, parted the Red Sea and great walls of water stood up on both sides. And, and they, they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground and came up on the other side. And of course, God destroyed those pursuing Egyptians. Once they came into the bed of the Red Sea, he allowed those walls of water to collapse and drown them. Well, you know, God did marvelous miracles. They should have had every reason to believe in the power of God. But then they get all the way up to the border of the land of Canaan. Uh, and as they're there, Moses sends in some spies to spy out the land. And then uh, the 12 spies come back and and 10 of the spies say, look, we can't go in there and take the land. You see, it was a sin of unbelief. Think of what what God had did to show them his mighty power. <clears throat> what what is the, you know, the the Canaanites in comparison to the mighty power of the Egyptians or uh, to the the Red Sea standing in front of them. They said, we can't go in. They're giants and we'll die. And, and of course, two of them said, we can go in, Joshua and Caleb. Well, the people listen to the majority. Now, folks, I want to tell you, the majority uh, oftentimes is not right. We know the majority of people are going to hell. You know, the Bible tells us that the way to hell is broad and wide. So is the gate. The majority of people go that way. That's why it's broad. And so they God, in his anger, turned the people out into the wilderness, not allowing these unbelievers to enter into the land of promise. All of them died out there in the wilderness over the next 38 years, except for those that were 20 years of age and below. God raised up a new generation that would have faith and believe to go in and take possession of the land. But those unbelievers, they died. And folks, these these. Uh, False teachers, they're just like the Israelites. Uh, they weren't true believers in God. Mm. Very, very true, Dad. And, you know, you said something there that I, that I thought was uh, very impactful. You know, think about what these individuals had experienced, the miracles that they saw, like the, the power of God that they, they saw revealed in front of them, and yet still uh, sin is a very tricky thing, and it, it, it traps people. And uh, th these were swayed away from even what they saw in front of them, how God was working and moving, and decided to go in the way of error, uh, going through that broad gate, as you said there. So it's un unreal. Um, well, Jude gives us a second example, Dad, and that second example is the insurrection of Satan and his angels. Now, I use the word insurrection. We've heard a lot about that word uh, this year. Uh, but there was indeed an insurrection in, in uh, Revelation chapter 12. The Bible tells us that there was a day where Satan and a group of angels that he had persuaded um, had uh, began to wage war in heaven. And uh, Satan wanted to basically take over the throne. He wanted to, to get the glory that was given to the Lord God Almighty and, and saw himself as equal, if not better. Uh, than God. And so uh, Satan was no match, though, for the, the true heavenly forces. And um, the Bible tells us that he was defeated, he and his uh, angels that had gone along with them, and they were ultimately cast out of heaven. And uh, verse 6 referenced that these angels will face ultimate judgment on the great day. Now, if you've listened to our coming king study, which was our study through Revelation that we did at the beginning of the year, you'll know exactly what this is uh, referencing here. For there is coming a day when Jesus will return uh, to the earth in victory and in strength, and he is going to round up Satan and all of his demons, and he's going to cast them into the lake of fire for all of eternity, never to cause chaos again. That's exactly right. And, you know, when I think about what Jude said about the angels in verse 6, and then them being judged to put in chains under darkness, you know, one of the worst parts of hell. And then he compares these angels and about how, you know, wicked they are and about their judgment to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll talk about in just a few moments and, and the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. I, I believe, or at least some commentators believe, and I kind of go along with them, that this also refers to not just the demons in general, but in specific, uh, certain uh, demons, uh, certain fallen angels, you know, they either took possession of, of men and, and cohabitated, had sex with women, yep. which is something stepping out of their proper domain, 
or they themselves you know took the form the appearance of a man and had sexual relations uh, with women now some people say that would be impossible because you know angels are spiritual beings and certainly they are spiritual beings but you know the angels uh, they can take human form because we know that the good angels uh, appeared to Abraham one day when he was sitting you know, under his tent and on the way to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy these cities. And they appeared as men Mm -hmm. and they ate, they ate. So here we've got spiritual beings that eat. So is it impossible that an angel can, you know, uh, transform himself and take a human body and have sexual relations with with women? I I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure about that, but I, I think that that is Quite a possibility when we tie uh, that in with verse 7. And these wicked angels, they're in the lowest part of hell, you know, the abyss. Yep. And you remember when Jesus, he oftentimes, he'd come into contact with people that were demon-possessed, like the the man, uh, the, the man that was filled with the demons that lived in the country, the gatherings that lived among the tombs. These demons, they recognized who Jesus was and that Jesus had the power to send them to hell. Now, the the majority of demons are not in hell, folks. The devil is alive and walking on planet Earth, and so are his demons. But there are demons in hell, and they're the worst, and they didn't want to be sent there. And so they begged Jesus to send them into that herd of swine that was feeding nearby. And Jesus did, and of course, it caused the swine to go crazy and run down down the hill and drown themselves uh, in the sea. And so anyway, I think it's quite possible that uh, these uh, uh, people that write commentaries are probably accurate in saying that these are not just the average old demons, yep. uh, but even the the most wicked of these demons. That's exactly right. And Dad, you were referencing, I think it's Genesis chapter 6, where it talks about um, where uh, the inhabitants of the earth had uh, co-mingled with the sons of, I think it says the sons of God is the word uh, that's used there. And so that that brief description there is, is kind of what's alluded to either these angels, these demons uh, having relations with uh, humans. And that's right before we see God destroys the world with flood. Right? That's right. I think chapter six, uh, in chapter six, at the end of chapter six, you have uh, God giving Noah uh, the instruction uh, to build the ark because he was getting ready to wipe the slate clean because of what was happening there. What's the other interesting thing, Dad, about that particular verse? And we're going to touch on this in just a minute. Um, Jude does uh, two non-biblical references um, or uses two non-biblical references in here, and this is technically one of them. So he references from the book of First Enoch, and uh, this particular passage of scripture is referenced uh, in First Enoch. Now, First Enoch um, is said to be um, it, whether it's the the actual written word of Enoch, or maybe it's it's people that put Enoch's words to paper. Um, and in that, he talks about the angels um, having relations with human beings. And the Book of Enoch is not found in our Bible. Um, it's not considered to be inspired text. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we definitely know because Jude uses some quotes from there. There was obviously things that were in there that were indeed true. Right. And because uh, Jude is part of the inspired Word of God, we know that those are, are definitely true because God told him to provide those. So I think that the commentaries, you know, kind of looking at that uh, body of evidence there uh, can say that, yeah, that it is very likely that that is the case. And that those are the, the specific ones, the, the worst ones that are referred to here that are in change today and they're awaiting their final judgment, which will come, you know, at, at that uh, final final day. Hey, I've got another interpretation to kind of add to that, uh, just because we really don't know. Over in Genesis chapter 6, where you were re referring to a while ago, where it talks about the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all that they chose, that that could also refer to the sons of God, meaning that the descendants of Seth, you know, the godly line uh, coming from Adam and Eve, that they uh, cohabitated with the the daughters of men. You know, the, these would be the, the women that descended from Cain, an ungodly line. You know, I think about when the Israelites, you know, they were 
they had a nation. God did not want the Israelites to to mingle with the ungodly tribes that lived around them, mm. you know, to be yep. separate. And so here we see perhaps the sons of God referring to Seth's godly line mingling with the ungodly line of Cain. And, of course, you know, that, that would uh, help to destroy the belief in God. That's exactly right. And, Dad, something you said there is, is interesting because um, you mentioned that uh, God wanted— uh, us to be uh, his people to be separate, mm. and I think that's one of the things that we're seeing happen right now is in in, in the uh, heretic movement that's uh, going wild um, in in our church today is that there's this uh, statement that God is a unifier, and because God's a unifier, then everyone is welcome, everyone's included, regardless of what you really believe. And that actually is is a uh, it's a half truth. It's it's a really actually a full false. Uh, God is not really a uniter. He's a divider. Like mm-hmm. He's very clear throughout the scripture that there is right and there is wrong. There is godly and there is ungodly. There is holy and unholy. And he wants those to be separate uh, from each other. And so uh, just when you said there, it's an important reminder for us even today that um, we are to be, again, remember, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. That's right. Right. And so we're still to remain our uh, degree of separation from the things of this world. And that just triggered in my brain because I've heard a lot of people here lately as they're espousing to kind of this one world religion or that the doors of Christianity are open for all people and there's multiple ways to get to heaven. Um, I just felt like that was something that needed to be said there. That's right. That's right. Well, Dad, the third example that uh, Jude gives us here is uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, now I know all of us are probably familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was the Las Vegas of the Bible. It was the original sin city. Uh, this was a wicked, terrible, depraved city, and it was such a, a wicked city that when God sent in his messengers uh, to bring out Lot and his family, the men of the city wanted to engage in sexual relationship with those messengers. Uh, they saw new flesh, and they said, hey, we haven't had any of that yet. Mm-hmm. And that just goes to the level of depravity that they were 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 at in the city. And so ultimately, God annihilated the entire city and all of its inhabitants with fierce fire from heaven. So, Dad, we've seen three examples here where Jude reminds us, his readers, that God consistently punishes idolaters, heretics, and rebels. And he reminds us that he'll do it again. I want us to look at verses 14 and 15 here. And i got to flip my page here, 14, 15. I'm going to read that for you again. It says, Now Enoch, the seventh of Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the day of the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in ungodly ways, and all the harsh things in which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so uh, this particular a reference here is another one of those, um, I guess, non-biblical references. This again is coming uh, from the the book of First Enoch here, and Enoch, being the seventh man from Adam, it, it tells us he prophesied that hey, there's coming a final day of judgment. And uh, Dad, I find it amazing that uh, all the way back, seventh man from Adam, God's plan was already set. Right. right. I mean, you know, if anybody wants to think that God's just go, going along with it and making it up as he goes, that is not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, think about it. Even in the Garden of Eden, he told uh, Adam and Eve that there was going to be enmity between uh, Satan's offspring and their offspring. And ultimately that, that, that there would be one to come that would crush the the, the head of Satan. Uh, but here we have seventh from Adam, and he's already projecting what we see uh, prophesied also in the book of Revelation, that there is a coming day, a final day of judgment which is going to going to come and and folks we've talked about it on this podcast it may not be long until uh, that arrives and then Jesus will come back and at that point he will execute judgment on all the ungodly for all of their wicked things that they've both done and said toward him that's right uh, when i think about the the prophecy that Enoch made you see Many people, obviously, they say, well, the prophecy he made since he lived prior to the flood, this prophecy of judgment pertained to the flood. But Jude saw his prophecy about the coming judgment going beyond the flood to the world in the end times, the very judgment that Peter wrote about in Second Peter chapter 3. 
And, of course, you referred to Enoch's prophecy. We know that's not a part of the Old Testament. But the Holy Spirit inspired Jude to use it because it was familiar, historically valid, and supported his overall thesis. Jude extracted that that quote from 1 Enoch. And, of course, the people were aware of that. But uh, Enoch's message, we've got to keep in mind, was passed down through oral tradition until it was finally recorded. Now, we go on to see that the false teachers of Jude's day, they mock this prophecy of Enoch about God judging the people in the future. And they argue that Jesus Christ would never come and that God would never send judgment. Today, a lot of people have bought into this teaching that God will not judge people for their sins. But God's word is straightforward about the reality of divine judgment of the ungodly, which includes the false teachers. That's exactly right. And so, as you said there, Dad, there, Jude is reminding us that judgment is coming and that uh, wickedness and sin does not go unpunished. And he gives these examples and cites that it's happened before, and he reminds us that it's happening again or it will happen again. Let's move on and look at the second thing that Jude wants us to see in this section of Scripture, and that is the depravity of these false teachers. And this comes from verses 8 through 11. Hey, I want to go back just for a second, you know, because uh, really this stands out to me so much where it says in verse 14, you know, the prophecy of Enoch, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all. Uh, to convict all who are ungodly among them for their ungodly deeds. And, you know, God himself will come and judge this world. He will not assign the task to an angel. He himself will come. Now, Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 13, describes the Lord coming in judgment. Now, the fact that the Lord himself will come in judgment shows the seriousness of this event that's going to come and also its finality. Now, this is a personal judgment, our Lord, but our Lord will not judge alone. The Bible says the saints of God will be with him. The word saints means holy ones and can also refer to the angels. However, we know that the people of God will accompany him when he returns to earth to defeat his enemies and establish his righteous kingdom. Now, over the centuries, the people of God have suffered at the hands of the ungodly. But one day, the pe- the tables will be turn. The coming judgment is going to be a personal judgment, and it's going to be a universal judgment. The judgment will come upon all. According to verse 15, none will escape. Just as the flood destroyed all that were outside the ark, and the fire and brimstone destroyed all in Sodom and Gomorrah, except for Lot and his wife and two daughters, the last judgment when Jesus returns again and the holy angels come with him along with the, the children of God, the saints, the last judgment Judgment will be upon the ungodly, and it will encompass all the ungodly. And it's interesting that the ungodly, the word ungodly is used four times in verse 15. Mm. And, you know, it's going to be a just judgment because the Bible tells us that God will convict, convince them of their sins, declare them guilty, pass sentence on them, and then execute the punishment. Think about it, folks. One day when Jesus comes back in judgment, to destroy the wicked, to judge the wicked, there will be no judge. There will be a judge, but no jury. Prosecution, but no defense, for every mouth will be stopped. There will be a sentence, but no appeal. There is no higher court than God's final judgment. The entire procedure is going to be just. The the uh, ungodly is going to get their due one day. That's exactly right. That's That's good. That's real good. Let's look at the uh, depravity of these uh, false teachers. Again, verses 8 through 11 is what we're looking at here. And in this section of Scripture, we see in verse 8, a judge referred to these false teachers as dreamers. And uh, this you know, may mean a couple of things. It could mean that they relied on dreams or visions in order to uh, spout off their false teaching, or maybe it just meant that they were so far out of touch with reality. We really don't know. Uh, but Dad, I found it interesting as we were talking just before we got started. You mentioned that there um, there are churches out there that are getting back into this thought of dreams and interpretation of dreams and, and prophecy through that, and so we see that happening even now. Right. And so it's very likely that that's what it was. They were going around saying that they had had visions or that they had dreams, and this is what they were being told that uh, again allowed them to go and do whatever they they pleased based off their own lust. Yeah, you know, uh, today the canon of scripture is complete. 
and and we don't try to add to the Word of God. Now, sometimes I can feel impressed by the Holy Spirit of God to do certain things, but I'm not going to go out and tell everybody that uh, this feeling that I get from God is is got equality with the Word of God. Yeah. No, you don't add to the Word of God. But people today, they think that uh, revelation is progressive in those that these some of these false teachers, beware, folks. They call themselves apostles, yeah. and and then they will say God spoke to me through a dream, and mm. they will equate what they supposedly heard from God in a dream to be equal uh, with the scriptures in the Word of God. Beware of that. This is what Jude is trying to say. These are deceivers, deceivers. You know, you can you can. If you get people to believe that that God can speak to our pastor who says he's an apostle, then and his word is equal to what Jude says or what John says in first, second, third John and, and the Gospel of John, then you can have people to go off in all kind of crazy, uh, crazy ways in their beliefs. And that's what we're seeing today. That's right. I was watching a, a video on YouTube the other day, and it was uh, one of the, the kind of modern, what I believe to be a false teacher. And um, I, I noticed that as uh, he starts his, his messages most of the weeks, he says, God told me to tell you this. And um, I think that that's kind of dangerous language because I, I think it fits in with what you're saying there. You know, obviously, uh, you, you and I know both because uh, you obviously you do uh, preaching every week and mm-hmm. I speak with the men's ministry from time to time and obviously do the, pay, uh, the this podcast. And I, I don't feel like God tells me to, to say this or that, but I do feel he lays things on our hearts, right? And he'll bring things to your mind. Uh, he, he'll, he'll make something that you didn't see before stand out to you. And uh, maybe something you hadn't even thought about. He just seems to put the words in your mouth. I definitely think that happens. But right. I, I get very cautious when someone just blatantly says, you know, God told me to tell you this. Right. Um, and that kind of fits into that kind of dreaming prophecy, uh, being a mouthpiece for God. Um, and we have to be very, very careful with that. Because as you said, the scripture is, is complete. It's whole. It's without error. It's infallible. And uh, we, we don't need to be adding to that. Uh, right. We need to be uh, very uh, discerning in our interpretation of the Word and making sure that we're uh, portraying exactly what the Word says and not adding anything else to it. Right. And so uh, that, yeah, that's great. And so he says that they were dreamers. Uh, but then Jude gives us some uh, description here, or some some uh, details of just how depraved they were. Uh, he speaks to the acts of their depravity. And he says in verse 8, he says three things. It says, I'll read verse 8 to you, and then we'll talk about them. It says, Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. So here, Jude tells us three things. It says, one, they were sexually immoral. Uh, we see that term, defile the flesh, mm-hmm. and most all the time that refers to some type of physical sin that is happening, whether That's it's right. sexual immorality, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's bestiality, uh, you name it, they were fulfilling the sins of the flesh uh, and defiling the flesh. And that was the first thing that they were doing that was depraved. The second thing that they were doing is it said that they rejected authority. And I take this to mean, Dad, they rejected God's authority, just like you were saying that they, they were going around spouting off, oh, Jesus ain't coming back. Mm-hmm. He's never going to judge you. You can go do all of this stuff over here, and there's going to be no issue with it because there's grace for it, and there's going to be no judgment whatsoever. They rejected God's authority. Um, and then the third thing that I see here, Dad, is it says that they they were slanderers of dignitaries. And as I looked at that uh, statement there, I tried to unpack what it means, and and this is my my best, uh, I guess, interpretation of this is is they were speakers of evil, and this word dignitaries, uh, it may mean divine dignitaries, it may mean angelic uh, dignitaries, or it could have been humans, right? It could have been mm-hmm. you know leaders of the church that they were just speaking evil about, running around right. talking r- rumors about about people and saying, hey, you don't need to listen to to Paul. You don't need to listen to John. You don't need to listen to these these folks because this is the reason why. Uh, they've done X, Y, and Z, starting rumors and speaking evil about them. Mm-hmm. And so I, I find it interesting that uh, in verse 10, uh, kind of jumping ahead there, um, it says that the false teachers would even slander things they had no knowledge of. Mm-hmm. They, they, would, they would talk bad about something and they had no clue what was going on. Right, and I want you to think about uh, just uh, in our today's times and in our in our life today, and uh, even in in maybe your your church, if you're part of a local body of believers, you probably know people like this. 
that are just slandering stuff. They'll mm-hmm. talk bad about something even if they don't understand what's going on. They're just there to talk bad about it. Right. And that's what these guys were doing. They were slanderers. Dad, I saw over in verse 9 here, uh, Jude contrasts these slanderers with another non-biblical account. He talks about where Michael, the archangel, uh, disputes with the devil, and he does not use hard words even against him. For the hard words are evidence of weakness, and they call and the and the cause which they support is weak as well. And so, I find it interesting uh, that statement there. Again, that particular reference comes out of another non-biblical book. Uh, it's a uh, book of Moses or something like that, I believe, uh, where that comes from. Uh, but obviously. Uh, the body of Moses, after he dies, we don't know where that body went, right? It says, mm-hmm. I think in, the, in our uh, Bible here, the official uh, text, it says no one knows where his body went. But obviously there may have been some type of tussle, and the and devil thought he had some rights to to his body. Um, and Michael the Archangel was talking to him, and this would be a dignitary, right? Uh, this is uh, Michael the Archangel, and he's talking to another Unfortunately, you can call it an angelic being or a Satan being, and he doesn't even use slander against uh, Satan himself. He leaves it in the hands of the Lord, and he says, the Lord rebukes you. Right. And I find that telling, because if anybody should be slandered, it should be the devil. Right. Uh, but Michael the Archangel didn't even feel appropriate to do that, and he said, God's going to take care of that. You know, uh, I see some of these old false teachers on television, and, and they are trying to teach their congregation to talk to the devil. Mm. And, and just tell the devil, get out of here, devil, and all. Listen, you and I, we have no, we, we are no match for the devil. He is a spiritual being. It is only through the power of God that we are able to stand, the armor of God that he's given us. And we have to beseech the Lord God to come to our aid in such a, a time when we are under satanic attack. God knows can take care of the devil, and he will take care of the devil for his children. We call on God, and that's what Michael did. He didn't go around smart-mouthing the devil. That's exactly right. You know, the, that philosophy that you can fight the devil with a water pistol, that uh, is creeping into a lot of churches, as you said. And um, and I know many people use that saying from time to time just to say that they're, they're on fire uh, for God, and that they're willing to fight the devil with a water pistol. But the devil is a powerful being, and he's taken down much greater than you or I, and we're no match for him. And so we just need to do, as you said, we need to depend on God. We need to hide behind the cross, yeah. plead the blood. Uh, and we're no match to go toe-to-toe with Satan. Yeah, I've heard people say, like you said, charge hell with a water pistol. I'd like to see them charge hell with a water pistol. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> we, we need to, again, hide behind the cross. And, hide behind and, the cross. And call our, our, our elder brethren, uh, Jesus, to, to t- take defense for us. And so, right. But I find it interesting here. So these, these are slanderers. They were going around speaking evil things and just accusing and rivaling against everyone. And even Michael the archangel didn't accuse the devil um, and speak illy of the devil, even though he, he definitely had a right to. If anyone should be slandered, it should be him. He, he left it in the hands of God. And so it just shows you the contrast there between the two, between these false teachers and how uh, perverse and, and how depraved they were versus that of uh, the holy uh, angel of, of Michael. And so, Dad, Jude wanted us to be sure uh, that uh, we understood just how depraved these false teachers were. So he compared them to three individuals in the Old Testament just to kind of drive the message home. And he said uh, that this is over in verses uh, 10 and I think 11 here, and let's look at that we'll read it together uh, once more. Um, let's drop down to verse 11. It says, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So these are three notable individuals from the Old Testament. You have to be mindful that Jude was writing uh, to that first century church, and that first century church was made up of largely Messianic Jews, right? These mm-hmm. were uh, people with Jewish backgrounds that have, had converted to the faith and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so they knew these stories because, as you said, Dad, it was part of that oral tradition. These had been passed down uh, time after time, generation by generation. And so they, they knew these folks. And so obviously one was Cain. And so Cain was cited. Not only did Cain kill his brother, but he rejected God's command for sacrifices. Mm. He, he went against the will of God and disobeyed God directly. Worshipped according to their own standards. That's what these people were doing in following the way of Cain. That's exactly right. 
And in terms of Balaam, Balaam from the Old Testament plotted against Israel uh, for his own personal gain, encouraging sensuality and sin. And that uh, story that I that I gave you from Numbers 25, uh, Balaam was actually involved in that. He was one of the ringleaders that was causing this. And, and later on, you see where he goes and he tries it again to sway the people of Israel to lead them away uh, into sin using, again, sensuality and sin around them. That's exactly right. And then the last thing, the last example that he uses here, Dad, is Korah. Korah led the rebellion against God's appointed authority, Moses. And so, again, we see here Cain. Uh, Cain, uh, he went against God's command. Uh, he was not doing appropriate worship, as, as you mentioned, Dad. Uh, Balaam. Balaam was focused in on his own personal interest and personal gain. Mm-hmm. And then Korah rejected authority. He went against Moses. And so that right there was, again, the references of what these folks are doing. Uh, They're going against God. They're self-centered. And they're ultimately uh, rejecting authority, the authority of God. Right. And, you know, uh, during this particular time, uh, the authorities that God had placed in the church were the apostles, the true apostles. And when false teachers would come in and Paul would have to write a letter, sometimes he would have to defend his apostleship because these false teachers had had been, you know, uh, talking bad about Paul. Sure. And Paul would have to defend his apostleship. Oh, yeah. No, I I, I know that most of our listeners are, uh, hopefully most of our listeners are part of a, a local uh, New Testament church. And uh, you know that there there's individuals that can be in every converse and congregation uh, that will try and speak bad about the leadership of the church and try to start rumors. And the same was happening there in the early church. And they right. were going around and uh, talking bad about, again, Paul, talking bad about James and John, saying, hey, don't listen to these folks. They're crazy. They don't know what they're talking about. I, I know what they've done. And, and speaking of that and just trying to sway people away. Uh, and that's what these false teachers would do, again, speaking evil um, against these and rejecting their authority. Hey, I tell you this, I, I heard about this one preacher, and, I, I'm, and uh, I'm sure this has taken place numerous times in different ways. He had heard about a particular person who was visiting his church that had given a fellow pastor a hard, hard time. The fellow pastor was a good pastor and loved his people, and the, and the guy huffed up and left the church and came to his church. And so the fellow came down to join the pastor, told him, he said, I think you need to pray about it a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good one. Very good. Well, let's move on and look at the third thing that uh, Jude wanted us to see, and that's the description of these false teachers. And that's going to be verses 12, 13, and 16. And so in those verses, um, I'll let you kind of read those in your own personal study. But there's key things that I pulled out here, Dad, that we can talk about. Um, the first that uh, description that um, Jude gives them is he says that they are spots in your love feast. Now, spots in the love feast. The love feast was a practice um, at that time of bringing the body of believers together, and they would have a meal together. Uh, and oftentimes uh, exerb like the Lord's Supper or communion as part of that, and they would fellowship together. And so what this uh, description is saying that these false teachers were hypocrites because they crept into the fellowship unknown and unnoticed, and uh, they they would take part of the sharing of food and love as if they were part of the true flock of God. But in reality, they were unholy, they were self-serving men, and they did not have a reverential fear for God. Yeah, I think about the the uh, description of them as being spots or like ugly stains. You know, there's one thing that I hate. My mom used to tell me, don't use that word hate. I have to say there's one thing in particular that I hate. I hate getting a food stain on my tie. The reason that I hate this is because once you get a stain on your tie, you can't throw your tie in a washing machine like you do a shirt that's dirty. If you do, the tie will come out looking worse than when you put it in the washing machine. Also, if you take a tie to the dry cleaners, it seems like it costs you an arm and a leg to get dry clean, and sometimes it still doesn't look all of that good. Well, you know, I think about how uh, a spot can ruin an expensive tie. Well, Jude says these people are spots. They've ruined your love feast because of their presence there. That's exactly right. Stains in the, in the, in the love feast. Mm. The next description he uses is that they are clouds without water. So these false teachers, they offered hope to the church that they could bring the needed spiritual rain, if you will. But in fact, they could not. Uh, they had no substance. They were just all show and no substance whatsoever. 
Uh, so they just gave the appearance that they were going to do something, but in the reality, they were just a cloud without rain. That's right. And then the next description that's given here is uh, trees without fruit. Uh, these men, it says they were like late uh, trees that were in late fall that should have fruit. They should be bearing fruit uh, in the time of harvest. But these men, they bared no fruit. And so they clearly were not born again. You know, as the old saying, saying dad goes, if there's no fruit, there's generally no root. That's right. Hey, I just thought about something else in regard to, you know, where Jude said that these false teachers were like spots uh, that I think is very important. Uh, the word uh, translated spots can also mean hidden rocks or reefs. So Jude's description of the false teachers as hidden reefs depicts the unseen danger these false teachers posed. Now, reefs are undersea coral formations. They usually are located close to shore, and they are potentially harmful to ships because they can rip open the bottom of their hulls, causing the vessels to sink. Well, like those hidden reefs, the false teachers embedded themselves under the surface in the love feast of the early church from where they tore into unsuspecting people with their lies and their wickedness. That's exactly right. And, Dad, uh, that's a, a good uh, segue here because the next two descriptions kind of play off that same theme of being in a boat or being ships um, because the next description he uses is said that they were raging waves. So these false teachers, they were unstable. They were unpredictable. And like raging waves, they were dangerous. So no doubt that during this time, um, you either walked where you were going, maybe you were able to ride a a donkey or something like that. But the primary mode of doing some major transport would have been by boat. And mm-hmm. so everyone's familiar with these these uh, terms. So the fact that there were rocks or reefs um, made sense to them. The fact that they were raging waves, they all knew the danger of a stormy sea and what that could mean to a boat that was out there um, at that time. Yeah. You know, have you ever walked on a beach after a storm and seen the ugly refuse that has been deposited on the shore because of the the raging waves, well, you know, that's exactly what the false teachers will do. They they come in, all right, and, and appear to be angels of light, but then they're like raging waves, and, and when they leave, they leave the church all tore up. That's exactly right. The last kind of um, nautical theme that we have here is he, he says that they are wandering stars. Now think about stars. Stars were used for navigation, um, and they still are today. But a wandering star or uh, represented these false teachers. They were wayward stars. They were not fixed, and hence they they were unreliable. Uh, they offered uh, unreliable and even disastrous guidance uh, because they were not a fixed position which could be uh, followed after. And so another maritime example there of them being wandering stars. That's right. Uh, those who end up as false teachers start out seemingly well, catching a lot of attention, like the wandering star, but end up falling into oblivion. And when I think about that, I think about uh, Jim Baker. When I was, you know, Heritage USA, Fort Mill, South Carolina, some of you that's in the 50s, 60s, 70s, you remember that? Everybody was wanting to go to Heritage USA. I mean, they had it going on. And, uh, and you know, people were leaving the uh, the biblical churches in the area that I was pastoring and running over there because, oh, Christian entertainment and stuff like that. Well, you see where that led us. They were, he was just like a wandering star. He fell into oblivion. Same thing for Perry Noble, the guy that pastored the churches around here, which went all over the state, you know, fell into oblivion. Jimmy Swaggart, the list can go on. The list can go on, that's right. Jude, in verse 16, concludes his description uh, of these false teachers by saying the false teachers are grumblers, complaining, uh, complainers uh, who walk according to their own lust. And in doing so, they have what I like to call, Dad, the gift of gab. And so basically it says that they used big words. They used nice oratory uh, speeches in order to loop people aside. And, and in the examples that you cited there, Dad, I think all of those were dynamic speakers. Right. Um, and even if I think about the ones that we haven't named in this uh, podcast, at least not yet, uh, they are fantastic speakers. And I'm going to go ahead and call them out just because we need to. Joel Osteen, when I think about Joel Osteen. Sure. Uh, he is a false teacher. Uh, I hate to break it to anyone who, who likes to listen to him, but what I will say is he's a fantastic speaker. Uh, speaker. Right. Uh, he, he knows how to, to, to speak and deliver a message, and he can command a stage, and uh, he would be in this class here that Jude was talking about 
um, that use those big words and his and his language to impress people and to draw them in. And that's what we see happening uh, there every time Mr. Olstein gets up to speak. Right. I recall that um, hearing this number of years ago that when Billy Graham uh, started out in the work of evangelism and something, I believe it's called Youth for Christ, there were two other evangelists that were really uh, seemingly at that time more sought after and, and got more accolades than Billy Graham, but they fell into oblivion. And uh, one of them even, I understand, rejected his belief in God. Yeah. You know, and he and he started out uh, doing evangelistic work, you see. So, uh, folks, I'll tell you what. Don't get your eyes on the person. Get your eyes on Jesus. Focus on Jesus and not the person. And uh, and you got to be like those Berean Christians. When you hear people speaking, uh, you, you go, go to the Scripture and you see if what they're saying is coming from the Word of God. And you see if they preach the whole counsel of the Word of God. You know, I don't think I've ever heard uh, Joel Osteen preach a series of messages out of Revelation. Have no. You? Yeah, that's judgment. We don't want to talk about that. That's exactly yeah, right. That's right. Or Joel would think that. Exactly right. Exactly right. Well, Dad, we're going to uh, try and wrap it up here. And before we do, I do want to to bring this into uh, some context for our listeners of, of how this applies to, to again, daily living. How, how can they use this? Well, I think there's two applications here, Dad. I think one is a, a good reminder for all of us that sin does not go unpunished. Uh, there is no free pass for sin. Um, and that uh, God is a, a good and a just God. He's a holy God, and He will um, judge sin um, that is is not uh, washed away by the blood of Jesus. And so, I would encourage all of our listeners that if you're living in a life of sin um, and you haven't uh, called out to Jesus as to be your Lord and Savior and to, to pay that penalty and take it from you, uh, you need to do that. Um, if you are a believer and you're still playing with sin, it's dangerous. Uh, and so I'd encourage you to repent from that. Uh, favorite, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible is uh, John 1, 9, 1 John 1, 9, where he talks about uh, those who confess their sins, that God is is faithful and just to forgive those sins and wipe them away. And so we just need to, to confess those sins. And then lastly, for those of you who are, are, are believers and and you're really trying to dig in deep and you're staying away from sin, well, there's there's application here for you as well. I think these uh, descriptions of what a false teacher looked like are something that you need to pay close attention to and that you need to, to apply that to the folks that you see around you. I'm not talking about necessarily your neighbor or the person sitting beside you in the pew at your church, but when you're looking at, at things that are being either published, whether it be books, or whether you're looking at a preacher who's on TV or or you're listening to a podcast, uh, these are some descriptions of what a false teacher does and what they look like. And so take those to heart and make sure that you um, test and you apply uh, some of these filters, if you will, uh, to what you're seeing, what you're reading, what you're ingesting, uh, because we, we don't want you to be carried away and led astray by false teaching. That's exactly right. Well, Dad, if you would, would you pray us out of here? Sure. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for giving us this opportunity to uh, talk to those listeners uh, that are out there, either on Facebook or listening to this on a podcast. We pray, God, that you would just help uh, believers uh, to navigate through these times, Lord. Oftentimes, I feel like that there are believers that because something is seemingly attractive, uh, that uh, they will leave a Bible-believing church, and they'll, they'll go to that nightclub church. And, and they'll, they'll fall in sync with these false teachers, our Heavenly Father, that eventually fall to oblivion. Wake them up today, Lord. Help them to return back to the Word of God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonefire Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content. Also, be sure to rate us on iTunes and Facebook so that others will know about the podcast. If you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode, feel free to email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com.